Uh, as we thought about what happens at the end, and in particular at the end of our lives, uh, we began this series taking time to look together at death, uh, why we die, uh, how it is we can respond faithfully in light of it, the death that will be before every single one of us. Uh, two weeks ago, we examined the subject of, of judgment, and we took time to understand exactly what happens on the day of judgment for believer and unbeliever. Uh, last week, TJ done a great job looking at heaven, uh, understanding heaven as a place, uh, but also recognising who will be in heaven. And we thought about the fact that God will be with his people in heaven uh, and in earth for all eternity. Just had this weird moment, I heard my voice here. <laughs> uh, tonight uh, is our final week uh, in this mini-series. Uh, we're taking time to look together at the subject of hell. Ready? Ready for this? Uh, for us to understand hell, there's only one place we can go to, uh, and that's the Word of God. And a really helpful foundation for us as we look at this subject is Luke's Gospel, uh, and in particular Luke 16 and verses 19 through to 31. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to this passage. The words are going to be up on the screen. I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. So Jesus is speaking here, and he's basically unpacking this parable as a means for us to understand uh, why hell exists and its purpose. Uh, so Jesus says, There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off, with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have, mer have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in, in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers, to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Amen. God bless the reading of his word uh, tonight. Let's just take a moment to pray. So, Father, we, we just want to be open tonight to how you might direct us. And, and Lord, I recognise I've, I've preached this message already this morning. But I also recognise it. Uh, tonight as a new service with, with new people and we pray that, that your will would be done, that you would guide my words, that you would direct our hearts, that we would choose in faith to respond in obedience to you and we would recognise that it is not in the power of our own strength but it is in your strength and your power through the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord would we carry reverence in our hearts as we think about this difficult subject and may it lead us to even greater transformation. In Christ. Amen. 
Before we begin tonight, let me just provide a, a basic definition of hell. I think this is just helpful for us to have this definition before we look at all that we're going to look at. Uh, and I share this as it's important just to have this almost as a starting point for us. And I recognise tonight that the definition I give here is not as detailed as we would want, but we will unpack this definition more as we move forward this evening. So simply put, um, hell is a place of eternal divine judgment that many in this world will experience after they die. Hell is a place of eternal divine judgment that many in this world will experience after they die. And I recognize tonight that for many of us, the elephant in the room is we do not want to focus on that. We don't want to focus on that. Uh, we do not want to think about hell. We do not want to talk about hell. We want hell and all that surrounds this topic as far away from our hearts and minds as is humanly possible. And I totally get that. Um, it's not been easy for me in preparation for this message this past week. There's been a few challenges and I recognise it is a difficult subject and the enemy in some way wants to, to take my focus away from what he has called me to do tonight and also this morning. Then there are perhaps others of us who are actually looking forward uh, to this subject, not in the wrong sense, but in the right sense. Uh, that is, you actually want to learn more about what the Bible says on this topic of hell. Or maybe it's not that this morning, maybe you are looking forward to it, but it's this unhealthy focus on this subject, quite possibly out of a, I'm glad I'm not going there kind of attitude. That's, there's a potential in every single one of us to carry that attitude. Or even worse, one that says, I'm glad this person's going to hell or that person's going to hell. To experience that kind of attitude firsthand, all you need to do is to walk down Duke Street, right into the city centre on a Saturday afternoon, and you'll find, you'll find people condemning others, shoppers, to hell. And what's weird, they seem to get some kind of endorphin-inducing kick out of doing that. Um, they're not all like that. I'm not labelling all street preachers as that. But there's definitely some who are like that and I've experienced that firsthand. Wherever we're at tonight, as we approach this subject, I want us to understand that the Bible speaks about hell and it speaks about hell quite a lot. And no one spoke more about hell than Jesus. In fact, it's in his top five subjects of all that he shared in all four of the Gospels. Jesus speaks a lot about hell. And so if this is a case, if this is a common focus of Jesus and his teaching, if this is something that the Bible looks at in depth, then we have huge responsibility in our lives not to shelve this subject. And if we're being really honest tonight, we all have that potential. We all want to avoid it, ignore it, not talk about it. The subject of hell should inform and tap into so much of who we are, what we do, how we live our lives, and also how it is we should reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is, we, di we dilute the power of the gospel if we do not explain and unpack and teach about hell. People need to understand the bad news first before we can come to terms with the good news. And as we think about hell tonight, as we take this biblical teaching forward into our lives, we have to hold on to two things. Uh, firstly, we need to understand not what our culture, our media, 
our society teaches about hell. We need to come to terms with what the Bible says on this subject. And secondly, our hearts need to be right. So we need to understand what the Bible teaches, but also our hearts need to be right as we think about hell. A focus on hell should cause within us great humility. It should cultivate a realisation that, that we are not who we are and there but for the grace of God go each and every one of us. I find what pastor and author Sam Storms says on a subject really helpful in terms of how it is we should respond to hell. So Sam Storms says this, I can't read biblical portrayals of hell and eternal punishment or think about it without feeling a deep and unrelenting agony in my heart. We should never talk about hell without weeping for it is real and people are going there. This is not a subject for joking or light-hearted banter. It is an issue that should provoke within us both anguish and an urgent commitment to share the gospel with those who remain in unbelief. So anguish and this, this urgent commitment, that, that's really a challenge for myself, that I would carry anguish subject of hell, but I would also have this, this sense of urgent commitment to share with people so that they might not experience hell in eternity. There's a kind of flippancy around this subject of hell, often within the church, and we see this so often in our culture as well. Hell has this comedic, light-hearted flavour to it. And it's a word that shows so much that it's lost any kind of sense of meaning or value. When people swear, they often say, what the, what the, what, what the hell? Sorry if you're offended by that. Maybe you use the Christianese version, what the heck? And we seem to think changing two letters in the word means it's okay. Similar to what TJ said about heaven, we often use hell as an adjective, uh, a word to describe an experience uh, or a place. Uh, experiences and places can be regarded as hellish. Uh, we can emotionally, circumstantially, or geographically be in what we might choose to describe as a living hell or hell on earth. And whilst all of this is used to highlight something in our culture that's very unpleasant or extremely difficult, it also at the same time takes us away from the biblical and eternal reality of what hell is actually like. So we can use all of these, we can use the word hell to describe all of these different experiences and places. And as we do that, we take away from what hell really is like, biblically eternally. So tonight, as we look forward into all of our lives, I want us to run from these ideas and uses of hell that we find in our culture, that we even find in our church as well. And I want us to run to the word of God so that we might come to terms with hell, the place and its purpose for existing in all eternity. Surely if we carry a correct perspective on hell, it will be life-changing for us and the power of the Holy Spirit it will be life-changing for those who have yet to come to faith in Christ. It will also be life-changing in terms of how we reach others with the gospel. And this proper perspective is not the perspective of the rich man. <clears throat> this rich man in our parable carried in his heart an understanding of life and eternity that was at odds with reality. Jesus wants us to understand from this example of the rich man how easy it is for people to completely miss the point of life. And in doing so, as they miss the point, they destine themselves for eternity in hell. The passage therefore serves as a warning for every single one of us.
that we would be a people free from this eternal reality because we have God's heart and we choose day after day to live out God's purpose. So as we take time to understand the subject of hell from these words of Jesus, I'm going to highlight three questions from this passage that are raised and these three questions are answered uh, as Jesus unpacks this parable. And my hope and prayer is as we seek to answer these questions, we would truly have a biblical grasp on this reality of hell. Does that make sense? So the first question, who is hell for? Who is hell for? And we find this in verses 19 to 21 and 25 to 26. It's so important that we carry the right answer to this question, who is hell for? Because how we answer that question will determine how we live our lives and how we connect with those who are yet to be in Christ. Jesus essentially presents here in this passage two categories of people. The person who is going to hell and the person who is not going to hell. Have a look at what he says in verses 19 through to 21. He says, There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. Then have a look at what Jesus says in verses 25 to 26. The rich man, uh, sorry, Abraham says, Son, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, speaking of heaven, while you are in agony, speaking of hell. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Now the danger tonight, as we read these words, is that you and I could unhelpfully conclude that all rich people go to hell and all poor people go to heaven. And you may even use other passages to justify that argument. And some who have studied the Bible have made that position strong in their own interpretation. But this passage is not about a rich man and a poor man in equal measure. This passage is ultimately about the rich man. The main focus of this parable is the rich man. And what Jesus wants us to see from this parable are the particular attitudes and actions of the rich man and the eternal consequences of having these particular actions and attitudes. So the rich man lives a certain way and this has eternal consequence. And Jesus refers to him as the rich man. He doesn't give him a name. He gives Lazarus a name. And he does that because he's trying to reach as many people as possible so that as many who might fit into this category might hear it and understand it and respond differently. He wants people to see that the life we have today has huge eternal consequences for the life that we will have tomorrow. And in particular, what we do with our money is clear indication of what's going on within our hearts and what eternal direction our lives are heading towards. We read straight away in this passage of what it is this rich man has done with his wealth and riches. In verse 19, we read, he's someone who dresses in purple and fine linen. Basically, he's strutting about in the finest of designer gear. Jesus also says this rich man feasts lavishly every single day. There was no expense spared for his own stomach. This is a material man living in a material world for the purpose of some kind of material satisfaction, fulfillment, 
believing this will make him complete in some way. This man is, is living for the here and now, the physical stuff of life. And this is not to say that eating nice food, having nice clothes, wearing purple means you're hellbound. This is not what we're saying tonight. But this is to say that if this is what you live for, if having these things in your life are your deepest desire, your main focus, then the reality is you do not love God. Your deepest desire is not to live for him. But it's more than that for the rich man here in this parable because not only does he spend money uh, that he has accumulated on himself, he does so at the cost of this poor man, Lazarus. Lazarus was a man in great need. He was poor in his own physical health. He had sores. The dogs were better than him. The dogs licked his sores. He sat at the rich man's gate homeless. He longs for the leftovers that the rich man has. And in his own heart, this, this man Lazarus is crying out for justice. And the rich man walks by him every single day and he does absolutely nothing. There's no ounce of compassion in his heart. His focus is on himself. He's wholeheartedly committed to a life of greed and selfish gain. And he has, he has absolutely no regard for the needs of others. And Jesus wants us to understand here from this passage that this is a description of someone whose eternity is, to be blunt tonight, hell. His eternity is hell, the rich man. In our missional community on Thursday, we spent time looking at this passage in James 1. As a recap of all what we're going to think about in February, we're going to look at James in February. And we came across verses 9 to 11 of this chapter. James says, Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. The rich man will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind, dries up the grass, its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. You know, I could give you many other examples of passages in the New Testament that highlight the dangers of wealth and riches being central to our lives. And they all underline the fact that if this is what drives our lives, if this is what is central to who we are, the accumulation, the pursuit of money, then as James says, you will, the promise is here, you will wither away whilst pursuing your activities. And Abraham says as much to the rich man as he sits in hell. Abraham says, you have received in eternity what it is you chose to live for here on earth. Have a look at Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 24. Again, these are strong words to those who are rich. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters since either he'll hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In our lives, the problem might be money for you. It may be the problem because money is what you live for day after day after day. But the truth is, it could be anything. <clears throat> it could be anything. Jesus wants us to understand that a life lived for anything that's not him is a life destined to be in deep, deep spiritual trouble with huge eternal consequences. So it could be your status, who you are, what people think of you could be your job, could be your family, 
It could be substance, it could be drugs or alcohol, could be food, could be your nationality, could be anger, it could be an emotion, <clears throat> it could be self. If your identity is not in Christ and your identity is in one of these things or something else, then the stark reality is this is your God and you will receive in eternity what you live for here on earth. Jesus, in as many words, points to this in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So internally, if we love God, then we will live for God externally. If your life is in Christ, then you will live for Christ. And the eternal reality for you is that you will be with him forever. Ultimately, Jesus wants us to understand through this passage and others that most important of all is that we abide in Christ day after day. Because that ultimately determines the eternal direction of our lives. This is the fruit that highlights the root. And this leads us on to the second question about hell. So who is hell for? For those who are separate from Christ, who live for something apart from Christ. And the second question is, what is hell like? What is hell like? Have a look at what Jesus says in verses 22 to 24 of our passage. And he speaks of these two individuals, the rich man and the poor man, Lazarus. We read this. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this flame. So the tables have turned. It's now the rich man who's begging for mercy. And there's a lot for us to think about from these words as we try and understand what hell is like. And make no mistake, this is difficult for us to read, or it ought to be difficult for us to read. But what we need to initially see is that hell appears to be defined by, characterized by, isolation and separation. We see this from the passage, all of which is in sharp contrast to heaven, where we see from the example of Lazarus, Lazarus is living in a place of community and togetherness, and yet the rich man is in isolation and separation. And the isolation and separation that we see in hell is evidenced in two different ways. First of all, <clears throat> in hell we see isolation and separation from God. So we see isolation and separation from God. It's why the rich man cries out for mercy. In one sense, he's not in the presence of God. He's completely separate from God. In one sense, he longs to have some kind of restoration, even though he does so with the wrong motive and a completely un wrong understanding of what heaven is like. And this is confirmed later on in this passage, what we just looked at. Abraham says of himself and the rich man, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, verse 26. So there's no longer an opportunity to be in the love, grace and mercy of God. What we see therefore is that hell is a place of definite isolation and definite separation from the God of the universe. Secondly, hell is isolation and separation in a sense. There is no one with him in hell. There is no felt presence of community around him as he cries out to Abraham. We read in the singular in verse 22, the rich man died and he was buried. And we also read in the singular, verse 24, the rich man cries out, I, I am in agony. 
Jesus does not say in verse 22 that the rich man died and was buried amongst the unfaithful. And nor does the rich man say to Abraham in verse 24, we, we are in agony. So there's a subtle indication here from this passage and from elsewhere in scripture. Hell is not a place where sinners all hang out. It's not a place where sinners gather together in community. Hell is a place of torment. And a significant part of that torment is the fact that they will be alone. Think about it for a moment. If there was community in hell, then there would be something good about hell. There would be something virtuous about this place. But hell is a place where every channel of happiness has been cut off, including the channel of meaningful, purposeful community. If heaven is the opposite of hell, and in heaven we see community, what TJ spoke about last week, TJ was very clear in highlighting, there'll be a sense of family and togetherness. We can be certain, if that's heaven, we can be certain that in hell, there's no sense of togetherness. It's another part of hell's reality. But hell is more than isolation and separation from God and others. Hell is also torment and agony. We read in verse 23, speaking of the rich man, he was in torment in Hades. Now, Hades is a Greek word for hell. And in verse 24, the rich man says to Lazarus, have mercy, I am in agony in this flame. And this is given further support by John in Revelation 20, verses 14 to 15. And in Revelation 21, 8, in John's vision, hell is described as the lake of fire. Get your head around that tonight. Hell is the lake of fire. Jesus himself describes hell elsewhere, Mark 9, 44, as the unquenchable fire and a place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, Mark 9, 48. One of the clearest descriptions of hell is Revelation 16 and 10 to 11, where again John tells us that the people nod their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. Now, I recognize tonight this is not easy for us to look at and to read. But this is unmistakably the reality of hell. And hell is like that because God's glory and majesty are so great. Our sin is an outright rejection of God's glory and majesty. And so great a crime against God and the universe deserves so great a punishment so that no one will look upon hell and look at the people who are in hell and say that it was unjust. No one will do that in eternity. We will all see those who are in hell and say this was just. So I hope we understand tonight that hell is a place of isolation and separation from God and from one another. And I hope we soberly conclude that hell is a place of torment and agony. And it's also a place where people are unrepentant. They continue in eternity to be unrepentant, what we just read there. And finally, I want us to understand tonight, hell is a place where God reigns. Hell is a place where God reigns. Notice in our passage tonight, the rich man pleads to heaven. So the rich man looks to heaven for mercy. He looks to Father Abraham to alleviate him from the torment and agony that he's going through. And he does so because he recognizes if there's anyone who can help him in his torment and agony in hell, it's God. Revelation 14 and verses 9 to 11, we see this. What we discover from this passage is that those who worship the beast, in other words, anyone who's an unbeliever, 
Well, drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. So we need to take hold of that tonight. God reigns in hell. And he does so with his holy angels, what we see at the end of this verse. And he does so in righteous justice. In the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of a lamb. You know, let's be honest tonight. Christians can be weird sometimes. Um, and sometimes you get these people who say they've been to heaven and they've came back. Or they've been to hell and back and they, they write books and, and make money. To be honest, it's nonsense because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And often these descriptions of coming back from hell describe themselves being tormented by Satan and his demons. I remember watching a, I think it was on God TV or, or something, uh, and watching this, this program of someone who said they'd been to hell and back. And the whole emphasis, the whole focus was on and the fact that we're being tormented by Satan and his demons. But Satan and his demons didn't create hell. And Satan and his demons have no authority in hell. Have a look at what we read in Matthew 25, 41 to 43. Jesus says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. So hell was in fact created for the devil and his angels. And the people in their own sin, and their own unrepentant sin and rebellion, have chosen to step into that reality. So it's not like we messed up and then God said, I'm going to create hell and I'm going to send you there. No, we have chosen to step into this reality. We've chosen to step into this destiny by rejecting the God of the universe. This is something we so often forget, something that perhaps you've, you've never heard before. People in hell have chosen. It's a choice to become a part of that place that was in fact set aside for Satan and his demons. So people in hell will be fellow inmates with the devil and his angels. So hell is a place of isolation and separation. Hell is a place of torment and agony. And hell is a place where God reigns. All of which brings me on to my final question tonight. If we know who hell is for and we know what hell is like, then final question, how is hell avoided? How is hell avoided? And it's important we dig into what it is we read in the final part of our passage tonight. Verses 27 to 31. The rich man speaks here and he says, Father, then I beg you to send him to my father's house. Because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, that if someone from the dead goes to them, they will not repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, <clears throat> they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now notice this rich man pleads he pleads with Abraham and he does so because he wants to, not because he wants to love God and be in his presence. This is not what he's doing. No, the rich man wants his discomfort to be removed. 
This is ultimately primarily what he wants. He wants to be with Abraham and Lazarus in this place of comfort. It's his primary motive. And the rich man asks Abraham to warn his brothers because he also doesn't want them to experience the suffering of hell as well. He wants them to be in a place of comfort in eternity also. As we've seen already, the earthly attitude of a rich man was one of constantly pursuing comfort. And his eternal attitude appears to be the exact same. It shows us what it is this rich man has always, always lived for. He has no regard for anyone apart from his own personal comfort. And many of us have maybe walked through that doorway as we came to faith. If we're honest tonight, we've maybe chosen to follow Jesus initially because we've wanted to avoid the discomfort of hell and the suffering and the pain of hell. It's maybe struck a fear in our heart, this reality before us, and so we've decided to follow Christ. Ultimately, it's come down to the fact that we've wanted to save our neck and we've not wanted to be in a horrible place forever and ever and ever. I've heard many testimonies, some in this room, where people have shared that. And that's an important part of people's spiritual journey. There isn't anything necessarily wrong with that as we think about someone's journey. This is maybe where you began, but let me encourage you tonight. This cannot be where you remain. So if, if your response to God was because of this discomfort and fear of hell, you can't remain in that, in that attitude. Because to be a Christian, ultimately to be a Christian, it's not about avoiding hell. It's about being with Jesus. It's about loving Jesus. It's about living for Jesus in this life and in the life to come. So much so that if you went to heaven and you, your attitude was one of just avoiding hell and you went to heaven, heaven wouldn't be heaven for you. Jesus would ruin heaven for you. Abraham shows us how it is we should do this. He says here in verse 29 that we have Moses and the prophets and we should listen to them. So in order for us to get to that place where we love Jesus, Abraham unlocks something for us. He points us towards the word of God. In other words, we take the word, we receive the word, we savor the word because we recognize that in them we have Christ. So as we understand the word of God, we have Christ. And when we have Christ, we have what? We have eternal life. If we cannot take and receive and savor the word of God and believe in what it says about who it is that God is in Christ, then the truth is we cannot, we cannot avoid hell. If Christ is not our deepest desire in life, then we will face an eternity in hell. And that shouldn't be discouraging for us tonight. In fact, that should be tremendously encouraging because we all have the opportunity tonight to respond to him, to receive Christ, to know him, to experience his love and grace. And as we do that, as we respond faithfully to Christ, we avoid this reality of hell. So I take comfort from the words of, of the Apostle John. 1 John 5, 12 to 13. John breaks it down really simply and really powerfully for us. He says, the one who has a son has life. So if the son is our deepest desire, we have life. The one who does not have the son. So the one who's living for something else, including living for the comfort uh, of not being in hell, does not have life. That person doesn't have life. John says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, 
so that you may know that you have eternal life, so we can have confidence that we have eternal life. As we believe in the word of God, we will believe in the truth of Jesus and all that he is and all that he has done for us and we will experience an eternity in heaven with God and not in hell under the wrath of God. So it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. For us to, to escape hell is for us to pursue and love Jesus. It's not about being reactive, it's about being proactive. And this is what we all need to rest in tonight. We don't focus on hell. Hebrews 12 says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. We all need to know that if we have believed in the one who has risen from the dead by believing in his word, then the promise is there and it's a guaranteed promise. So take encouragement. We're going to sing in a moment about assurance. We will have assurance. We'll have eternal life. In response, um, I recognise tonight that perhaps you have made that decision to follow Christ, to move from darkness into light, that maybe now as you're examining your own heart and mind, you're realising that I actually authentically, wholeheartedly make that decision to love Jesus. And it wasn't just about avoiding hell. If that's you, then do speak with me after the service. And if you're convicted in your heart that you'll not be with God in heaven, but under his wrath in hell, then I plead with you tonight to make a decision to follow him today and to live for him today. And we would want to talk through and pray with you about what it means to follow Jesus, to experience his grace. And perhaps tonight in the midst of, of all that we've spent time looking at, as you think about this past week, even this past month, um, you think to yourself, it's been tough. It's been really tough. And again, this is a safe space. There's only a few of us here tonight, but even if you're watching online as well, this is a safe space to connect with us, to receive prayer for whatever it is you're, you're feeling overwhelmed by, for whatever it is you're struggling with. Tonight, you may need prayer for healing, and we believe in the God who can heal. We believe in the God who does heal. We invite you tonight to hand that over to God, to ask for prayer from myself uh, or for some, from someone you know and trust. And we can't promise that God will, will definitely heal, but we know at the very least he will be with you and you will experience his love afresh. And we will pray in faith that, that God will heal in Jesus' name. So these are the ways that we can respond. And um, we don't want to, to mess about with all that God has given to us. And God has given us a gift of his church. So we'll make the most of this time as we respond and worship. But also make the most of this time as we just have a, a chance to, to have tea and coffee, as we have a chance to connect and be open and honest with one another. God has given us his word, so let us respond faithfully to his word as we go into this week. Let's pray together. So Father, we, we pray that you would, you would be working in our hearts and that, that we would choose to respond to your word. And Lord, we, we particularly want to pray for those who don't know you. I pray that we would have that, that eagerness and that agony in our hearts <clears throat> to reach those who have yet to experience your grace and who are in reality heading for an eternal destination in hell. Would you convict them of sin? Would you use us as your people? And would we have a confidence in your word and a sensitivity to your spirit to be all that you call us to be? 
So Lord, we, we just want to take a moment to think of maybe one or two people in our lives who we will have opportunity to connect with this week. And we pray that you would guide us and that we would have the boldness and courage to do what you've called us to do, to say what you've called us to say. So Lord, would you bless us now as we respond in worship and as we go into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Take time to sing um, and pray and respond.